This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. Hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform now and you'll never miss an episode again. On today's show, we hear exactly how the VAR officials got it so wrong in Liverpool against Spurs. Yeah, delayed the game. To delay the game. Stop the yeah, game. They've restarted the game. The yeah, they've restarted. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. As we suspected, an absolute shocker of a decision. But is it now time to draw a line under it and move on? Let it go. Or is it the start of something bigger when it comes to refereeing transparency? Speaking of transparency, it's clear for everyone to see just how many problems there are at Manchester United right now. It was another defeat for Eric Ten Hag's side as Galatasaray walked out of Old Trafford with three Champions League group stage points. Booze at the final whistle again. Surely the Dutchman can't be in the last chance saloon, can he? Lots to get through on today's FSD, including tonight's Champions League clash between Newcastle and PSG in the group of death as well. My name's Niall, welcome to the show, and welcome along also to Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Strap in, lads, there's a lot to go at today. Good morning. Um, yeah, I'm not actually sure if uh, I'm more excited about Newcastle PSG tonight or Niall, oh, Joel's more fuming that, uh, about the Man United result last night. I thought you were going to say, I don't know if I'm more excited about seeing PSG play Newcastle or the fact you get to lay into Andre Arnana in about two minutes. I've got used to that now. I'm just, every, <laughs> the, the podcast after the day he plays, I'm just like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> no, honestly, you know, you know the worst thing about this now? Every time I watch United playing Onana makes a mistake, instantly in my mind I'm thinking... I've got to talk about this with Marley on the podcast in a second. Damn right. The agenda. I mean, it's not even an agenda anymore. It's just genuine. Like, <laughs> it's just crap. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But, yeah. Yeah, to be fair, it's not often that three of us are sat here doing the podcast. One of us is feeling elated. One of us is feeling depressed. And one of us is feeling excited about the game ahead. And actually, strangely enough, I'm the one that's elated, Marley's the one that's excited, and Joel's the one that's absolutely devastated. Who would have thought it? Pompey on top. I'm the one who's on the bottom, and Marley's just excited for life at the moment. 98th minute winners, they're not for everyone around here. That's what I'm saying. That is all I'm saying. Yeah, Pompey top of the pile. But it's not last minute winners we're going to talk about on today's podcast. We're actually going to pick up again off of the conversation that we've had the last two days on the podcast, because this VAR decision between Liverpool and Spurs has not only dominated Football Social Daily this week, but it's dominated the back pages of the newspapers. It's on every single website. And yesterday, Marley, we discussed whether the releasing of the audio from that game would have been a good idea or not. You thought not, but yet a couple of hours after we published the podcast, there it was, available for all to hear. The audio from the PGMOL, from that VAR conversation, and how badly they messed up was evident for everyone to hear. So now we've cleared it up, do you feel any differently about it? Uh, no, not really, because we didn't we didn't learn anything they'd they'd said in their statement, they said, you know, we, we thought it was an on-field, uh, it was given as a, uh, as a goal on-field. Um, so the, the decision was to stick with it. And then the audio just backed that up, you know, as much as it, it was interesting and it was good to hear it, but it didn't, it didn't prove anything. It didn't, you know, we didn't learn anything from it, if that makes sense, you know, cause you were never going to hear, you know, three, 
three blokes in a room going, ah, oh, sorry, it's Liverpool, let's wind them up. Like, the, we, there was no confirmation of a conspiracy. There was no ulterior motive. It was just three ball bags having, a, having an absolute mess of a time. Um, and then it's the out, out of all of them, the replay operator, who wasn't even a qualified referee, went, you've got this wrong. And then you heard him go, oh, you know, expletives to come out and stuff. And then they can't restart the game because it's not in the rules of, of VAR. So even though it was interesting, we didn't learn anything. So it didn't it didn't need to be released. That's the bit that spins my head the most. The fact that the game restarted so they can't pull it back. And I understand that's always been a rule in football. But they restarted the game and it was a throw-in or something. And I think both sides, if the right decision had been come to... I mean, Spurs obviously would have complained saying, the game's restarted, you can't do that. But nothing has changed. There's not been a yellow card. You know, you see these movies, these sci-fi movies where people go back in time and then they pick a leaf off of a tree and then the whole way that the world changes is completely... <laughs> do you know what I mean? The whole yeah, development yeah. of planet Earth is totally different because they've changed one thing in the past. Like Back to I the Future when like you're... <coughs> you're uh family members are just fading before your eyes and stuff <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. but i don't think it's quite like that when the game had restarted for what 15 seconds and the ball had gone out for a throw i don't see why in extreme cases like that and that was an extreme case why they couldn't have just pulled it back and said listen we've had a shocking mistake here lads let's make sure we get it right and obviously spurs would then feel aggrieved but i think spurs feeling aggrieved over that is is not quite the same level as liverpool being frustrated at their goal being disallowed. It's communication. It's the way in which they said it. Check complete. What does check complete even mean? It's communication, but it comes from the fact that they do it all the time. You get a bit complacent in that thing and it's like, yeah, it's fine. You know, you know, it, the decision's going to stand because you, you, uh, you allowed the goal on the pitch. And then it's that complacency that makes them go, you know, when the video operator said the goal, what, uh, was not given on the pitch or was given whatever. I can't, can't remember now. I've gone backwards and forwards so many times with this. I don't know what was given and what wasn't, but eventually it's some kid in the replay theatre who used to work at Hawkeye who's gone, you've got this wrong. And then it's just the complacency of the, of the, of the guys that are checking so many decisions, you know, per game. And then, as we mentioned yesterday, the flights to, you know, the Middle East that they were on, did that play into it? The tiredness, the mental fatigue, and you know, it's all just a bit of a mess, isn't it? But hopefully, they'll learn from the situation, and we won't have anything like that again. Because if that happened to to my team, I'd be just as fuming as Liverpool fans are now. Well, let's hear that audio then. This is the official audio released by the PGMOL of the conversations between the VAR officials in Liverpool versus Spurs for that Luis Diaz disallowed goal. All good. Both holding. Both holding. Yeah. Leave it though. Waiting, MVP, delaying, delaying. Yes. Yeah. Give it. Coming back for the offside, Hello. mate. Just checking the offside, delay, delay. Give me kick point. Let's go. Yep. Kick point, yeah, please. No worries, mate. So here we are. Okay. Wait, okay. Um, just get a tight angle. Yeah, give me two D line ready. I feel as well for frame right, two. So that. frame, That's fine. Frame two there. Perfect. I've got yep. the time on this. I Two D line on left boot. Yep. Well, let me Remember just angles. I think I might be disangled better. Hey. Happy with okay. disangle. You yeah. organise you, don't yeah. you? 2D line on the boot. 2D line on the boot. Yep, okay. Wait, no wait. So 2D line on the boot. I'll, I'll check in. complete, check complete. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Off. Thank, Thank you, mate. Thank you, mate. Wait, wait, wait. wait. On-field decision was offside. Are you Are you happy with this? Yeah. Are you happy with this? Offside, offside decision. Go. Yeah. That's, no, that's what it does. 
What? On-field decision oh. was offside. Are you happy with this Never image? Yes, yeah, onside. The image we gave you is onside. Left back. He's played. He's yeah. gone offside. Delay, delay, delay. There's Ollie saying to delay. Ollie saying to delay. Pardon? Ollie's calling in to say delay the game. To to complete the decision is offside. Ollie's saying to delay. Ollie's saying to delay. Ollie. Yeah. Delay the game. To delay the game. Stop the game. They've restarted the game. Yeah, they've restarted. Yeah. Can't do anything. No. I can't do anything. I Stay can't back. do anything. We had a big debate about this on yesterday's podcast, Joel, about whether releasing audio was beneficial to the Premier League and the way that game is played and the transparency when it comes to officiating. Do you agree with Marley? Do you think that it's not really changed anything? Because I'm on the fence with this. I'm not going to lie. I'm on the fence. I agree with Marley in the sense that I haven't learned anything new than what I already knew two days ago, which was they've just made a shocking error. There's no underhandedness. There's no conspiracy here. They've just had a really bad day at the office. But do you think that releasing this audio, as we've seen happen on Sky Sports already this season, which you actually referenced yesterday on the show, do you think that this will help now that you've heard it a bit more? When I first saw the sequence of events that Sky released just after it, that was kind of enough for me to understand what had happened. However, I feel like the audio gives them a little bit more leniency. And the way I say that is, like you said at the start, Niall, he recognised the error. One of them knew the error literally five seconds after they said check complete. It wasn't like the game went on and then 15 minutes before they looked and thought, guys, have we just made an error there? He literally five seconds before said, wait, are you giving that as a, a non-goal? Because it's a goal. And that's why I cannot get my head around... I get that the game restarted, but for an error that is as glaring as that, why on earth can you not stop the game and go back to it? It makes no sense to me. They do it in, for example, a decision where someone might have elbowed someone off, off the camera in the other side of the pitch, and then they go back to it after the game's been played about a minute, and then he goes and checks the screen. I get that that can be gotten back to because it's not check complete, whereas this one was check complete. I guess it's just like the official protocol, isn't it? But when you're ignoring an error as glaring as that, there needs to be something rewritten in the rules which states, if there's such an error and we've acknowledged it within 10 seconds of doing it, we're allowed to go back and adjust it. Because... I could literally envision the person who told them, why are you giving that as a non-goal? They knew what was about to come. They knew the consequences of it. And yet they could do nothing because they were being withheld by their own rules and their own laws. But in that circumstance, it would have been just to go back and change it. So for me, it was just a real, it was an irritation to be honest, because like both of you said, I don't think it massively added more to it, apart from the fact that the, communi the lines of communication are just a chaos. There's no real formal structure in terms of how they declare what's what. And I guess this has now almost pulled the veil off the fact that there is a lot of weaknesses in the system. Not in terms of the technology, but in terms of the way the people are communicating with, with each other. I think that's the main flaw at the moment. In terms of these mistakes, they're going to keep happening because it's natural. We spoke about this yesterday, Marley. It's human error. You can't remove human error from anything unless you want to make everything fully automated. But even then, you need someone on hand to service the systems and work out that everything's calibrated, etc., etc. So you're never going to eliminate human error. 
And it goes back to what Joel said about once you say check complete, that's it. And the guy was asking to delay the game, but the match had already restarted. We've heard VAR and match officials get a lot of stick for how slowly they get through decisions and the need to speed the game up and people waiting and impatience and stuff like that. So do you think that maybe referees have been distracted by these new directives in the summer? For example, keeping the game moving at pace, time wasting being stamped down on, kicking the ball away, things like that. Do you think that that maybe has distracted referees from the basics of the game, which is obviously the most important thing that everyone wants to see gotten right? Yeah, quite quite probably, yeah. Um, we're always on about speeding things up and, um, <clears throat> you know, cutting out cutting out things and, oh, we'll add on 13 minutes of injury time if we have to and things like that. But the way I see it is if you're adding, you know, six or seven minutes a half on for, for um, you know, the ball going out of play or decisions taking a little bit longer like why not why not have VAR feed into that like why can you you know why should you add the the time on for for the ball being out of play and little fouls and playing up restarting quickly but then you know you, you you're rushing VAR decisions it's like just add that on as well you're already adding six minutes on what's the difference between six minutes and seven minutes for an extra VAR double check like it's fine I think people are getting used to how long VAR takes now it was annoying at the, at the beginning because it was it was two three minutes but it's always going to speed up because people are going to get more used to it and even even the live fans in in the in the stadiums as much as it's still annoying that you can't see what's happening. Uh, and you can't hear what's happening, you're getting used to the fact that VAR will take 90 seconds or two minutes because they have to draw the lines and all that sort of stuff. So I think we're probably going in the in the wrong direction there because if, like you say, if you're getting decisions wrong, but you, you know, it's better to be slow and right than fast and wrong. Um, but this, this, you know, this has been... You know, a dark weekend for uh, for VAR, but yeah, I, I do think it's um, the standards getting worse probably um, than it has been. But you look at the amount of rules that are going on in the game now, and it's it's almost an impossible job to 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 keep up with what's going on. Like we say, we've said twice in the past two days, none of us here know what a handball is, and then it comes to a Tuesday night. And a Wednesday night in the uh, in the Champions League and the the Europa League on a Thursday, and we don't know what handball is there either because it changes, and it's just like like Kylian Mbappe tonight could head one in, but a replay could show that he punched it in, and I'd be sat there going, I don't know what counts anymore. <laughs> I don't, am I angry? Should I be angry? Or does that count? It's you know, it's uh, it's going the wrong way in in some stages. Pep Guardiola has been speaking about these VAR mistakes, and he said that. It's like if football was a stage play, the Oscar is going to the match officials and not to the actors, which should be the professional footballers. And I think that was an interesting take on it because there is so much attention on referees at the moment. And there'll be even more so later today because Jurgen Klopp is set to do a press conference and no doubt he'll be asked about the weekend's decision. More on that to come later this week on Football Social Daily. But next... A bit of a dark day for Manchester United at Old Trafford. They were beaten by Galatasaray. Group stage Champions League football returned to Old Trafford for the first time in a couple of years. And it's safe to say, in all areas, it didn't go to plan. That's coming up next on Football Social Daily.
Welcome back. This is FSD, Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall. I'm a Portsmouth fan. Marley Anderson's here. He's a Newcastle fan. But Joel Tudor's the man we want to speak to because he supports Manchester United, who were beaten last night 3-2 by Galatasaray in the Champions League. I'm not entirely sure of the statistics, but I think that's Galatasaray's first away win in the Champions League for something like 10 years. Maybe I'm over-egging it a little bit there, but it was a long time. And Eric Ten Hag's side have had the worst start to a Manchester United campaign since 1986. That was the year Sir Alex Ferguson was appointed as a United manager. That tells you how long ago it was. A defeat, Joel. Not for the first time this week either. Just how bad is it at the moment? And just why are things so toxic? So this is how it must have felt to be a Newcastle fan all these years. My God, it really is rock bottom, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, we I give up caring after a while. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure you're getting close to that point. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just so numb to it at the moment. The whole club, from top to bottom, is just completely devoid of any passion or togetherness. There's real nothing there. I, fe- I genuinely feel now that in the last ten years, this is absolute rock bottom in terms of where the club's at from every single department. And if you want to just go t- attack the match straight away. The biggest concern I have during that game was how easy it is to play against United, especially after they've scored. Every single game this season, we are at most vulnerable when we score. It doesn't matter what stage of the game is. That doesn't doesn't matter if we were winning or if we get an equaliser. As soon as the other team kicks off, you may as well just allow them to take another number on the scoreline because it always happens consistently. And it just was so alarming to me how disorganised everything seems and how vulnerable they look in the in the defence. And I know there's been a hell of a lot of injuries in a lot of areas of the pitch, but it definitely doesn't justify just how poor that actually was. And I think to kind of encapsulate the whole feeling, I think it's just a whole club and a whole team that's really low on confidence at the moment. Because if anyone saw, for example, Marcus Rashford when he was running through on the right and he had Bruno busting a gut to try and get into the box but he was way too far to even really be considered for a pass Rashford of last year would have smashed that in the top corner the Rashford of today was so I think he was overthinking if I don't if I miss this the fans are going to get on to me and then if that happens I'm going to get huge abuse he was overthinking the situation so much and that's what happens when you're in a club where it feels a bit toxic the confidence is low you're never going to get the players um, expressing themselves in the way that they usually do. And that's the biggest issue for me at the moment. I find that interesting because the Galatasaray goal that Wilfred Zaha scored, which you called yesterday. Yes. By the way, if anyone won a bet on that, I want a commission because I that was financial <laughs> advice. <laughs> but you shouldn't have scored. And no. I think that's the point for me. As much as I'm totally with you, Marcus Rashford should have done better in that situation. He should have scored or at least picked out a teammate with a better pass because it was a feeble ball across from Rashford. I think more issues lie at the back. And we know Manchester United have defensive problems right now. They're conceding a lot of goals. Shouldn't be conceding three to Galatasaray at Old Trafford. No chance. And as much as they've got goals in their team, we spoke about it yesterday with the players they have, United should not be letting them score three at Old Trafford in the group stages of the Champions League, particularly when the Turkish side have a dismal away record in the competition. That Dallow defending for the Zaha goal, absolutely dreadful. Onana's pass out from the back and his positioning for the third goal absolutely dreadful it's spreading it's like a disease through the Manchester United back line 
Are these players able to deal with the pressure of playing for such a big club? Onana obviously has come in with a lot of expectation and a lot of nervous energy. He's a better passer than De Gea. But is he a better goalkeeper than De Gea? Because I don't think I've seen that so far. For me, it's another terrible error, which has cost Manchester United. A lot of brainless decisions in that game. Really brainless. You name the one there, the Dallow one, where he got absolutely bullied, manhandled, when he should have been the one manhandling Zaha. But it's with Onana... I'm starting to understand what the situation is and it's a strange one because last season at Inter, let's not forget they reached the Champions League final, he made more saves than any other keeper, he made more clean sheets than any other keeper and now suddenly he's conceded nearly the, one of the, nearly the most goals in the Champions League, he's, got, he's conceded more goals than he has saves, that's a huge issue but I think when you have a defence that exposes his flaws as bad as this, I think you're always going to get mistakes out of him, no matter what kind of keeper it is, to be honest. I just think he needs a lot of time to settle and actually be behind a settled defence. Because right now, there's a new guy in, in front of him every other game, and I don't think that helps. But when you look at these first 10 games, he's made some glaring, glaring errors. And I mean, match-deciding errors at the moment. And the only issue you have with a keeper is that when you're making this amount of errors, it happened when David De Gea first came into Manchester United and Anders Lindegaard was the guy who came in for him and he started trying to get a number one spot. The only dish, the only difference in why you can't use that as a defence for Onana is because De Gea was a 21-year-old kid. Andre Onana is a 27-year-old seasoned goalkeeper. So you'd expect him to come in and go straight into it fully on, fully, fully confident making an improvement of our side but right now I'm not seeing it at all and again I think I just go back to my main point which is I think it's a team that's got no confidence in it whatsoever and I think it really spreads like a wildfire because like you've said Niall he passed out and got dispossessed he was brought in as one of the best keepers with the ball at his feet in the world even Pat Guardiola said it so for me, I think it's just pure confidence that is really eating away at all the players. And maybe it is a pressure thing. Maybe it is the fact that the heat of being at Manchester United and being under that spotlight constantly is too much for some people. And I, 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 that's a player that Ten Hag signs. I don't know how to defend that. Eric Ten Hag was subjected to a fair few boos. Reports surfaced late last night that his job may be in jeopardy. However, it's been confirmed by a lot of sources this afternoon, Marley, that he is safe in his job as Manchester United manager. How at risk is Eric Ten Hag? That's my question. Because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got rewarded, then he got sacked, Mourinho got sacked. This ownership are not afraid of changing manager, despite the fact that they've been targeted by supporters over the years. Mm, yeah, but I, I think they're soft. The owner, the owners, is in that they'll just follow what fans want, and I, I don't feel like enough fans have turned on Ten Hag. It, it doesn't feel like like that. It feels like questions are being asked, and and rightly so. But I don't think the the public opinion of of Eric Ten Hag at, amongst Man United fans is, oh my god, we need to get rid of him because the, the the first question you ask is, okay, who do you go and who do you go and get, and is there an obvious candidate out there that that can work with this squad and 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 make them better. I'm I'm not sure that's an easy question to answer, especially when you the first question anyone coming in might think might ask is, are you selling or not? Like, because I don't want to take the job if you if you're actively in the process of selling it. Then you're gonna ring Jim Ratcliffe and say, What are you doing? Are you having fifteen percent or eighty five percent? You absolute fraud, what are you doing? Are you are you happy in Nice or what? What are you doing? Um 
And then the Qataris, are they are they involved anymore? I don't know. So there's loads of questions for a new guy to answer. So I don't think um, he's in any danger of going. But questions do have to be asked because I think his his recruitment has been has been questionable. Obviously, Onana's. You know, you don't you don't need to ask me what I think of Onana. He's absolutely crap. Um, I don't. You know, the fact that De Gea hasn't got a club is really is is confusing me as well because. You know, we we were talking in the group chat of three last night, and I, I sent a, an image of Onana, who is stunt, he's standing on his feet when the chip. He's, you know, I don't know how tall Onana is. He's got to be six foot two, hasn't he? So he stood there on his feet when Icardi tries to chip him, and he still manages to get chipped. He still, he still dips low, and it's like everything about his shot stopping is just bizarre. And then you add in the pass, like. When you concede so many goals, your confidence isn't as high. And then he passes, you know, he makes that pass and gives it away. Um, when the obvious pass and the easy pass was to, to Rafael Varane, he tries to split and go into Casemiro. Um, and he causes the problems there. And I think he's cost Man United another, another win there. Um, and, you know, there's there's he's he's the start of the questions. But then there's there's bigger questions. Is how, how motivated is Rafael Varane? I'm not sure. How good is Lindelof? Is is he is he worth it? Has Dallow ever been a good defender? Because I don't think he has. He's he's good with going forward and he he can cross and stuff. But in terms of defending, as we've seen last night, he's he's weak. Um, and yeah, there's there's loads of loads of uh, little problems, little fires to put out at Man United for for anything. Yeah, and that's not just on the pitch because it's easy to kick aside when they're down and stick the knife in and make things worse off the back of a defeat. But what I thought was quite interesting last night was the social media videos, Joel, of pockets of Galatasaray fans that weren't in the away end. And we said yesterday on the show that they're such a well-supported club, they'll bring a huge number of fans over. However, you don't expect to see a good portion of Old Trafford, one of the biggest stadiums in the country, full of Turkish fans. You just don't expect to see that. And that's another problem you can add on top of the list of problems that Manchester United have got. I would be a hypocrite if I said it's wrong, I don't like it, it shouldn't be happening because United fans have done it countless times in Europe before. I think any big club in Europe tries to buy tickets in the home end. It's not nothing new. I remember when I remember when Frankfurt did it at Barcelona and half of the new camp turned white because they bought that many tickets from local fans. I mean it's it's nothing new. The big issue I have is with the ticket office because me as a Manchester United fan, I couldn't get tickets for the game because you need to have membership to actually take tickets. So we're now questioning, well, how have these Turkish fans managed to suddenly get a ticket for the game unless they've all suddenly bought memberships together? They've all suddenly managed to purchase tickets in the same area together, which is very, very rare, by the way. So now they're questioning and and trying to investigate what's happened. I personally think that the club has maybe sold them to a, a fan group or local fans have sold um, tickets to local Turkish fans I don't know I really don't know how it's gone but it, again it just encapsulates what an absolute circus of a club it is right now how at Old Trafford one of the most in-demand stadiums in the world for a game are you getting groups and pockets of Galatasaray fans local fans couldn't even get tickets so what on earth does that say about the organisation of the club it makes no sense to me and again that comes from the culture of the club it always comes from the top. I don't blame anyone who's in the ticketing office because they're getting orders from the top. 
everything comes from the top and the, so that's why I've been saying for a long time only way to change it is to change the ownership and then things will start to move in the right direction until then I have become numb to this ridiculousness that I see every single week and this is just another thing to add onto the list short answer please Joel are Manchester United getting out of the Champions League group no no chance Manchester United lost 3-2 to Galatasaray in the Champions League last night and there are games tonight for Manchester City and for Newcastle and it is the tune that we'll be focusing on as Marley's boys are taking on PSG. We'll talk about it next. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Now, did you ever think you'd see the day that Paul Dummett is one-on-one with Kylian Mbappe? No, neither did I. And neither did Newcastle fan Marley Anderson, who's part of Football Social Daily. What are you thinking ahead of tonight? Newcastle were placed in the group of death. You got a nil-nil with AC Milan in the San Siro a couple of weeks ago. PSG, though, I think are probably the toughest test of the teams that you're going to face. But it is at St. James's, so there's always a chance. Yeah, um... Yeah, where do I start? I don't know. Uh, the atmosphere is going to be just off the off the charts. I think. Um, can't wait. I think it's it's just everything. I mean, to have your first home tie against a, you know a team like that, you you look at you look at who you want in the group stage. You probably think Real Madrid, Barcelona, and outside them, you're probably thinking Bayern or PSG, one of the big big juggernauts and. You know the one, the one with more superstars right now, or or when the draw was made, at least was uh, was PSG with with Mbappe and you know uh, all the stars they've got and all the that's what you want. That's it's, it's the sense of occasion and you know if you were ever gonna beat PSG, it's at home on the first Champions League home group stage game for I think it's twenty twenty one years. Um, so it's one of those where. Hopefully the uh, the occasion and the atmosphere helps us because um, we're missing a couple of players that we, we we'd ideally have, um, and we can bridge that gap because obviously on on paper and and stuff they're the better team, but you know that's what that's what the challenge is of the Champions League. That's why you why you work so hard to get into it. You want you want these uh, occasions. Is a point a good result? And the reason I ask you that is because Newcastle in the Champions League for the first time in twenty years, you're in the group of death. And after Milan, you were like, take a point away in the San Siro. Absolutely. But you take a point against Milan, home or away, PSG, home or away, Dortmund, home or away. But I don't know whether a draw in every single game is going to be enough to get you out of the group stages. So is a draw a good enough result for Newcastle tonight against PSG? Well, if we drew every game and we got six points, we'd probably end up in the Europa League. So I'd, I'd probably, t- <laughs> probably take that. It's not that, it's not that bad. Um, nah, I mean, you'd, you'd, take a, you'd take a point. Um, if you think we're probably going to lose the game against PSG in France, because that's a that's an insane task, um, and I know they've been a bit dodgy at home and stuff like that, and you know they're not quite the the finished article. But let if you write that one off, I think you look at Dortmund home and away as the ones you you might win. I think AC Milan at home, you've got a good chance if you've held them if you've held out against them away. To have that extra push of, of of being at home, I think you can um you can hopefully uh can can get three points there. But you know, we'll just give it your all against PSG tonight. We're we're the underdogs. I think we're you know, it's a it's almost a free hit. 
because um, if you lose, it's it's only your second group stage game. Nothing's decided on it. You don't have to beat PSG um, to to go through or anything like that. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll not succumb to the pressure and and stuff like that, and we'll put up a decent show because I think we've got more of a chance than people um, than people may initially think. How do you think Newcastle will get on? In this game, Joel, PSG are one of those sides that have only really broken into Europe's elite, if you will, in recent years. PSG were always the team when I was growing up that Ronaldinho used to play for before he joined Barcelona. They were never a European powerhouse or anything like that. And then the Qatari money comes in and it changes the perception of the club and they've reached Champions League finals, but they've also bottled many games in Europe. Signing Messi put them on another stage again. Having Mbappe, one of the world's best, also puts them on an elevated platform. But they've never won the Champions League. Do you think they've got a chance this year? It's a very new look Paris Saint-Germain team compared to five months ago where the whole front three's completely changed, hasn't it? From Messi, Neymar, Mbappe to now Mbappe, Goncalo Ramos and Ousmane Dembele is very different. I think from what I've seen of Paris Saint-Germain, they're a little bit more dangerous away from home than they are at home. And that's not going to be good news for Marley. But every time we play Paris Saint-Germain, they've always battered us when it's at Old Trafford. And then at the Parc de Prince, we usually end up getting a decent result there. So I think as long as you can tame, obviously, the main threat, which is Kylian Mbappe, kind of like we said for AC Milan, I see it in a very similar circumstance where they kept Rafael Leao relatively quiet during that game and they managed to get a pretty good result and for, for PSG obviously Mbappe is absolutely the main threat that you need to tame so I think like I've said when we first looked at the draw initially if Newcastle are to go through the St. James St. James's part results are the ones that they have to at least get maximum points from and to be honest I would definitely give them all the chance in the world tonight because Paris Saint-Germain have had a really slow start to the season in Lyon at the moment. They're still waiting to click as a new collective front three because let's not forget they brought in a lot of players and they've changed a lot of players as well. So I think for Newcastle it's probably the best time to play them to be honest before they actually start kicking into gear when that front three and the midfield behind them start pressing on. So I I think they have every chance. How big a part do the supporters have to play? Because we've spoken about Newcastle as a passionate fan base and what St. James's can be like when the fans are behind them. But this will be a different test, the like of which Newcastle hasn't seen for two decades. So I'm expecting there to be a real good atmosphere tonight. But do you think that there'll be an element of nervousness amongst the crowd as well? Uh, Yeah, probably. Um, The atmosphere is going to be off the charts. I mean, all all week there's been you know, a, a buzz as soon as the, the whistle went at the weekend against Burnley. It was one of those where, right, who's next? It's PSG on, on, on Wednesday night. And then it was just the buzz around around the place and around sort of social media and stuff like that. And then there was the, the drone show over Newcastle um, over the weekend, uh, sorry, over Monday night, I think it was, where, you know, the, the buzz just went to another level. And, and by the time, you know, everyone finishes work on, you know, in a couple of hours' time, everyone's going to be just piling through the city centre, and the atmosphere will be off the charts. And I think that's that's our key to to the win. I think if it was away from home, it'd be still be an insane atmosphere, but not nothing like St James's on a Wednesday night, eight o'clock, Champions League theme tune, and everything like that. As soon as that kicks in, that's uh, that's where you want to be. And 
and that's what you've worked so hard to do. So hopefully we won't uh, we won't feel the nerves really. I, I don't think they will because you know the atmosphere has been a massive part of our resurgence over the last eighteen months. Dan Byrne is he going to find his mark this time? And I don't mean score a goal. I mean actually start singing the Champions League music when it kicks in because he was whinging last week that the music at the San Siro came in too soon and he forgot to sing the theme tune. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dan Byrne's got plenty to worry about tonight rather than <laughs> yeah, that. Um, yeah, Dan Byrne to get booked for slide tackling Mbappe is about uh, about as nailed on as you can get. If you've got a mortgage payment, stick it all on that, I would, I would <laughs> think. Oh, Mar- Marley's trying to match me in my uh, my betting advice. <laughs> I think we might go two for yeah, two. Yeah, burn, burn yellow card. It's probably about one to five, so it'll be, uh, it'll be nailed on. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. I mean, we haven't got... The, the biggest thing for us is we're, we're missing Sven Botman at the back, which is a nightmare because it means Jamal Lascelles is probably going to come in and, you know, you're asking a guy to come in and play his second game in a week against, you know, Mbappe, Kolo Mouani, Dembele, whoever else they've got uh, knocking around up there, whoever they pick is, is going to be a hell of a challenge for him. So we'll have to wait and see. No Joe Linton either. So we're missing a bit of midfield muscle. Um, and no Callum Wilson as well, so it couldn't really be much, uh, much worse, really. But the atmosphere, the the sense of occasion, hopefully that uh, that carries us through. Marley, are you secretly predicting PSG to win here? No, draw. <laughs> the first of six draws for Newcastle in the one, Champions one. League. <laughs> yeah, that no, was, the second of six. The draws. second, sorry, yes, I should say the second of six. Well, maybe a score draw. You might actually get some goals in it this time. Who knows? That's it for today's football social daily. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Marley. Now, earlier on in the podcast, you heard me mention that Jurgen Klopp is doing a press conference, and no doubt will be asked about the VAR decision between Liverpool and Spurs. That has proved to be the case because whilst we were recording the podcast today, he's come out and said that he wants that match to be replayed. He says he thinks that that is the fairest possible outcome. (laughs) We all knew it was coming. He has, but we won't talk about it today. We'll talk about it on tomorrow's Football Social Daily. So that's as good a reason as any to subscribe to this show on your favourite podcast platform or hit follow. Leave us a review as well if you like what you hear. And if you do hit follow or subscribe, you'll be notified when tomorrow's episode is ready and you can hear our take on Jurgen Klopp's opinion that this match should be tomorrow we feast boys we feast (laughs) on this quote (laughs) right that's it for fsd today we'll see you tomorrow football social daily is a voice work sport production for the sports social podcast network